What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and joining me is a man that if I was Hansi Flick, I'd pick him in goal for Germany at the World Cup. It's Lewis. Oh, babes. That's right, guys. Also, keep your eyes peeled. We will be doing a reaction to both the Germany and England squads for the World Cup that will be coming out tomorrow, or let's say Friday or Saturday this week. Um, and we'll just give you guys a rundown of what we think about the picks for these two nations as they go into the World Cup 2022. But seeing as we had a double header this week, we obviously have to talk about the fact that Union got smacked by Bayer Leverkusen. And Leverkusen didn't just stop there. They went on to beat Köln. It's two wins on the spin for Xabi Alonso. Has he got that team fully turned around? Yes or no? Then we'll also have a look at Dortmund, who seem to have completely fallen off the pace for top four and are slowly slipping further and further away from the title race, especially that loss to Wolfsburg really hit them hard. Then we'll move over to the Premier League, where Southampton made waves sacking Ralf Hasenhüttel. Arguably, some people will have said should have already happened after a 9-0 loss. We'll leave you guys to be the judge of that. But they've appointed Nathan Jones. What do you guys think of him? And we'll also talk about the Leeds comeback against Bournemouth. Not only have they managed to snag points from Liverpool, now they've pulled off one of the comebacks of the season. Is this a team that is on the rise? And then finally, we'll end off this segment with a little bit of weird news. But without further ado, let's have a look at the Premier League. Salah! Okay, so let's start with the biggest, in inverted commas, news, I think, which is the sacking of Ralph Hasenhutl from Southampton. And like you said, arguably a lot of people saw it coming after the first 9-0 loss. I was about to say, it's not just one 9-0 loss, it's two. Like, I was, we should probably have had a statistic about the amount of managers in the top flight who have managed to keep their jobs, even though they lost multiple times by more than six goals. I'd love, I love a statistic on that. I mean, you know, usually we're up to date, but this, this is such a niche statistic that even for us, for the sluts for stats at AT Sports, we sadly don't have that one for you. But any of the listeners, if you guys want to comment what you guys have in that slat, slat, slat for stat category, um, we'd love to hear it. But anyways, Ralf Hasenhüttel, if you had to sum up his tenure at Southampton, what word would you pick? Eh. <laughs> oh, God. It's not. It's only got two letters. <laughs> It wasn't okay. Look, there, there, there have been a lot worse, a lot, lot worse. Yeah, but this is Southampton. Like, there's been a lot worse. Southampton managers. Mark Hughes for one was absolutely terrible. But I think most of it comes from two things. So the first one is the fact that a lot of players that stayed at Southampton this summer, and a lot of like the established first team, they were basically told that he'd be leaving. Oof. And then and then he stayed, but he he already said that he was retiring at the end of this season anyway. Yeah, okay, but retire. <laughs> Why? Okay, in all honesty, 
that might make sense to say, you know, boys, this is my last season. On the other hand, if you know that this manager is not long for this world, that kind of already writes off the season, if we're being honest. Exactly. But the other thing as well, I think this comes from, is for some reason, Southampton fans have this almost, they have this opinion that they have a God-given right to be successful. Is when this I, just is this just your hate for Saints fans? Because because we know we know this we know it, this. You're way too, you you live way too close to Saint Mary's. That's just a fact. It is and it isn't. <laughs> but it, they are at best a a mid table side. Oh yeah, I mean I'm sorry. Southampton never have been more than a mid table side. You know they they did bring out some amazing players you have to say you know Sadio Mane played for Southampton Virgil van Dijk played for Southampton you know these aren't just you know uh they went on to become relatively decent Premier League players no they've had players come through the ranks who've gone on to become world class you know he he managed Southampton 151 times in the Premier League he won 47 drew 36 and lost 68 it's not a stellar record. <laughs> no, I, I mean, this season they've won three games. They've lost eight. I mean, it's not much better than, you know, last week and seeing as that record has or their losses haven't changed. You know, Schalke, who we've pegged to go down in the Bundesliga, they've lost eight this season. Just to, you know, add a frame of reference to this whole thing. It's, so there you go. That's not a fantastic comparison for anyone to be compared to Schalke. Oh, hell no. But the replacement Nathan Jones is an interesting one. I know you never heard of him, and a lot of people who don't pay attention to lower leagues in England probably won't either. Yeah, I mean, I hold my hands up. Nathan Jones did not ring a single bell. The, the thing that rang a bell was was the team he managed. I was, I was just to say, you live and work in Germany. I wouldn't expect you to know the inner workings of Luton Town. Yeah, no, but seeing as I did go to university in London and Luton isn't that far away. Yeah, but how often were we popping down to Kenilworth Road of a weekend? It's just... Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. We were there every weekend, bro. bro. Oh, it, was, right, uh, yeah. it was beers at Kenilworth. That was that was our motto. The ultras our... in the home end. <laughs> so <Beers> he, <laughs> he comes... <laughs> he comes just, from... just imagine... Just imagine us <laughs> booking a train every week. <laughs> the only good thing I can say about Luton is the ground, Kenilworth Road. You have to go through the turnstile, you walk th in between people's houses. That's actually insane. It's pretty cool. Um, so he comes from Luton, where he was from 2016 until 2019. He then went to Stoke. Failed miserably. Failed miserably. He won three of the remaining 21 games of the 2018-19 season. And in the 2019-20 season, he won just two of the first 14 matches and was then sacked. He then went back to Luton, which sounds like some really bad country song. <laughs> back to Luton town. Ding, 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 ding. Exactly, exactly like that. I'm saving that. That's um, every time. Every time you get a WhatsApp from me, it's back to Luton Town. Ding, ding, ding. And 
<laughs> and to his credit, to his credit, took them to the playoff semi-final in the championship last season, and they lost two one on hard, uh, to aggregate on. On they aggregate, lost, there you they go. They lost two one on aggregate to Huddersfield, and he was the, given the uh, championship manager of the season award. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of positivity around him. And I spoke to a couple of people. As I, 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 he's a bit of an odd character, can get the best out of some players, but apparently he's quite religious. No idea how that plays into his motivational side. What He just holds a sermon before every Premier League match, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, uh, <laughs> championship manager, he's good. Animated, relatively adaptive tactically, plays good brand of football, but he won't cut it in the Premier League and has a horrible habit of throwing his toys out of the pram. Oof, well, the Twitter reactions are going off. Care to read a couple more? i got a couple choice ones here, yeah. Uh, relegation incoming. Can only see this ending in total disaster. Back to Luton by Valentine's Day. And uh, my personal favourite, uh, Nathan Jones can help take Southampton to another level. Unfortunately, that level is the championship. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's just that's just you know not a lot of hope for Nathan Jones going into this one. And if I'm being honest, you know, a manager who who you know obviously hasn't cut it at the highest level doesn't necessarily have to mean anything. But the fact that there haven't been a lot of accolades being uh delivered for Nathan Jones and it's just not He's just not a. There's not a lot of be, praise being sung around him. It doesn't bode well, and especially when you look at Southampton, they need someone who I think knows how to take a club at the top flight out of the relegation zone. They they needed you know the firemen like Felix Magat, for instance, in the Bundesliga. I don't know if does the Premier League have someone who's who's you know the choice for avoiding relegation. Yes, we do. He's called Big Sam. Exactly. Oh, Big Big Sam. I'll never and, forget. I'll never forget that that uni lecture where our where where the boy Tim Collins came in and started off the presentation with a massive picture of Sam Allardyce waving around a scarf that just had the words "We're fucked" emblazoned on it. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the Snapchat. <laughs> yes. That is the first memory I ever saved on Snapchat. I, I I love that. I love that. That's also going up on socials. I don't care what happens. That that just just as a pre sneak preview to this in episode. A, in a parallel universe, <laughs> we're going into a World Cup with him as manager. Oh my god, can you imagine? One pint of wine the difference. Oof. But you say that. I think Nathan Jones is a bit of a weird one. It happened relatively quickly, so they must have had an idea of who they wanted. I was about to say that it was like within a day almost of Hasenhutter being sacked. It was, yep, we got a new one already in. His name is Nathan Jones. Many of you don't know who the hell he is, but uh, it works. Uh, to be fair to him, and again, just to slag off Southampton a bit more, because you never miss an opportunity to do that. No, it's like breathing oxygen for me. It's essential. <laughs> and why didn't they sack Hassan Hootel during the last international break? Not even the last international break. Why didn't they just sack him ahead of this uh, ahead of this season? 
Well, yeah, that's also true. But it's not like he—he's already said he wants. If he wants to retire at the end of the season, then you wouldn't have been, or you couldn't have complained if the board had then said, "Do you know what? If you already think you're going to leave at the end of this season, then I don't see the point in." continuing to work with you seeing as you are now only a short-term option and we want to build something long-term that that would have been mine thinking and i in all honesty hasenhutter couldn't have complained if that's what the board told him yeah but it clearly wasn't the case though because they backed him quite heavily yeah no but that but i'm, I'm just saying hypothetically speaking but that, that's what then just makes less sense and why we're sitting here, you know, a couple months later asking ourselves, why wasn't he just sacked or why didn't they, you know, figure something out in the summer? Well, there you go. Let us know what you think. Will Nathan Jones get on reasonably well at Southampton or will, like, the common consensus seems to be crash and burn and be back at Luton in time for 2023? But let's go from one team who, unsurprisingly, sacked their manager to a team that a lot of people were expecting them to sack their manager. But he seems to have turned it around with nothing more than a little bit of heart, spirit, and good old American belief. Yeehaw! That's another soundbite I'm clipping. (laughs) There you go. Well, yeah, So so we've got two wins on the spin and one of them against Bournemouth, yeah, okay. Um, on paper, you would think Leeds should be beating Bournemouth. The way they did it is amazing. But I want to still circle back to Liverpool because that last gasp winner, 89th minute, Bamford to none other than Crescencio Somerville a day before, as you said, his 21st birthday. For the first time sending Virgil van Dijk home with zero points at home at Anfield in the Premier League. And now they come back after being down 3-1. Jesse Marsh has done something in that dressing room. Well, we we touched on it last week when he said his comments about, I'm going to find out who I can trust. I'm going to find out who I can who's got my back and who who's going to buy into all this. I think he's found those players. I think a lot of people, a lot of Leeds fans anyway, are, are frustrated with Rodrigo. Yeah. But again, yeah. it was a good penalty from him to put them one nil up anyway. Yeah. But the likes of having, I know uh, Wilfred Notto came on at half time. Sam Greenwood came on just before the hour. And the and Joe Geldhart, who I think, a season or so more will be a starter regularly for Leeds. And, you know, Gnonto as well, he is this young Italian player who last season was already dazzling the Serie A, you know, and he made his debut for Italy. Um, he's He's one of those young strikers who's also breaking through, and I think Leeds have definitely snagged themselves a guy who in the future could be very promising. Yeah, it's it's not it's not just the the personnel, it's the almost well, it's, it's a ridiculous sense of belief. I know I used it as a as a piss take 
a minute ago, but to be 3-1 down in a game where it looked like Bournemouth were going to score every almost every time they went forward. I was about to say, you know, if you look at... <laughs> Seventh minute, one nil. Nineteenth minute, two nil. Forty-eighth minute, three nil. It just no one expected Leeds to be coming back from that. I don't think Bournemouth expected Leeds mm. to be coming back from that. Uh, you might want to do that again because uh, Leeds went one nil up and then they went three one down. Yeah, no, but uh, one nil. Ah, uh, fuck. Yeah, it's it's not really surprising. You know, after Leeds go up one nil, they you know Bournemouth equalized seventh minute, nineteenth minute, two one, forty-eighth minute, three one. I don't think even Bournemouth themselves expected Leeds to come back from that, let alone Leeds. But, but well, that, that's that's the thing. So the goals, and no disrespect to to Bournemouth, but they were of Leeds' own making. Yes, yeah, okay, but still, you have to be, you know, if just looking at it on the whole, you still have to pressure and force the error so to speak obviously you know we I, I don't want to take away anything from bournemouth yeah you can maybe talk about the fact that leeds and um or leeds should have done better but bournemouth still have to you know be in those positions so at the end of the day oh yeah philip billings goal was fantastic and dominic solanke was a uh, gorgeous little back heel but it was it was just the way that leeds they pr- they press so high. There's so much space in behind them, which is I, what I, Jesse Marsh learned from you know the Red Bull schooling, basically. Which works, yeah. If you've got the players that can do it, which I think now he's working out which players can and which players can't. Oh, there's going to be some massive personnel changes probably at Leeds coming summer. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a, a, a couple more Americans. I wouldn't say go as far as to say Americans, but I think he might have a look at his old clubs. You know, I'll talking... tell you who would do really well in this lead side. Okafor. I was about to say, you know, t- have a look at Salzburg, have a look at Leipzig. Who could possibly go? They already went and had a look at Leipzig once with Tyler Adams. Credit and... to him, he's been really good for Leeds. Exactly. And shocker, he's playing for Leeds. And Tyler Ab- Adams has been coached and schooled in that high press. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, yeah, you see in Noah Okafor, you know, if Benjamin Sesco was looking to join Leeds, he would be an option. But I think, you know, he, seeing seeing as he's going to Leipzig, that's not a viable candidate anymore. No, they they are a lot better. I mean, we can say this now. You know, they they did lose in the Carabao Cup last night to Wolves, but I mean, no one really cares. Carabao Cup is more of a place where I think most of the Premier League sides play their youth players anyway. I mean, if and you it, if you had a look at what what Liverpool put out on their team sheet yesterday. Well, I was just looking at the Leeds team from yesterday. Uh, Joel Robles in goal, Luke Hayling, Junior Furpo played yesterday, who is absolutely... How he ever played for Barcelona is fucking beyond me. <laughs> uh, Sonny Perkins, Joe Gellhurt started, but they came, they came off. 
So exactly, yeah, exactly. So I mean, th that's why I think the Carabao Cup is a little bit of an unfair. I'd say almost uh, monitor or temperature or taking a taking the temperature of a team, if you will. That's just yeah, a, you. Ju that's like yeah. It's an unfair indication of how a team. Is indication there. That's the word. Jesus. Anyways, yeah. So I think Leeds. There's something in the works we won't see it's like it's full form this season but we'll see snippets of it and i don't think leads will be going down even though i'm pretty sure both of us pegged leads to go down i did at the start of the season but you know they're now 12th yeah but i mean that that's that's the beauty of football it is a team that can surprise you well there we go let us know where do you think Leeds are going to finish? Is Jesse Marsh creating something exciting? But now I think it's time for us to take a look at the Bundesliga. And another team that is surprising us is Bayer Leverkusen. See what I did there? I did see what you did. That was very good. Well done. Thank you. I just, I just wanted the praise. Xabi Alonso, let's be real. When we, when we saw, you know, obviously, yes, they beat Schalke four 0 and everyone was like, "Oh, the turnaround! Oh, the turnaround!" Now, and we were both saying, you know, yeah, okay, let's let's see where he goes. And the matches after that were just, everyone was like, "Well, Xabi Alonso is going to be the next one gone again. They're going to have another manager turned over." But he seems to have turned them around a bit because now they've got two wins on the spin, and you know, the Köln two one win yesterday, eh? I wouldn't hold that one up as high as the 5-0 smacking of Union Berlin because no one I don't think anyone expected that to go to go down the way it did because the way Union played up until that match it just there was no indication that Leverkusen had that in them Oh no, because like you said, they, they beat Schalke 4 0. They then lost 3 0 to Porto, 5 1 to Frankfurt, drew 2 with Wolfsburg, drew 2 with Atletico Madrid, which is very good, and then lost 2 0 to Leipzig. Well, I put the, the, the 2 all draw to Atletico with Atletico as uh, I wouldn't peg that as highly because Atletico this season are just, for lack of a better word, shit. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. But and I said it to you before we started recording. Yeah, okay, it was a good result. But like it was in the 2-1 win against uh, FC Kern, they're very much a second-half team. So Robert Andrick's goal, 46 minutes. Uh, Musa Diaby, 56 and 58. Uh, Holozek, 68. And uh, Michel Bakker, 76 against Union. And again, they left it late-ish yesterday against Kern yeah. after they went 1-0 down. And side note here, Schmitz, first goal in like, what was it, 90-odd appearances for Kern, <laughs> took it down on his chest and rifled it past Lukas Radetzky. But, you know, Nedim Amiri deflected free kick 65 minutes and Musa Diaby 71. Yeah, but, you know, if... I, I know second-half goals aren't what they seem, but if if you want to take a look at the way Vera Bremen score their goals, 
They're seventh, and they score the majority of their goals between the 76th and the 90th minute. True. I think I, I think maybe I've I've phrased that wrong. I think maybe I should have said put they perform better in the second half. Because against Union they were a bit flat and against Kern they were awful in the first half. Against better yeah, teams. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Against the better teams. They'll so get when they packed. Yeah, you, you know, you the game will be over before halftime. Well, it was and, over before halftime when they played Bayern, so well that's what I mean. I'm just looking at the the game. The game against Frankfurt is probably a bit of a an unfair Yeah. Because it was only one nil at halftime. But yeah, if you if you want to have a look at uh the game against Bayern, Sane scored third minute, Muziala seventeenth, Mane thirty-ninth. Yeah, so that was that game over before halftime. Yeah. They improved in the second half, but then they only conceded one goal, which Wow! If the if the improvement is only conceding one, that means you've had a shit time of it, buddy. <laughs> it's not a massive criticism. I think Xabi Alonso just has a little bit more. Well, yeah. I mean, he's been in he's been in in the in the hot seat for all of two months. He's gonna need a little bit more time to you know turn that team around because under Seoan uh, they were god awful. I mean, we saw the start to their season. Yeah, so the players are there. We know the players are there because of how they played last season. Yeah, and they, you know, they got in another exciting young player with Adam Loshek, who now uh, who also scored against Union. Um, great backheel goal, by the way. And they don't have a bad mix of players. You know, Nadim Amiri has more or less come back from exile after he spent a year in the Serie A um, on loan and he didn't have a great time of it there either um, now he's back under Xabi Alonso you know the, the manager turnaround did massive massive things for him and you know Musa Diaby obviously Patrick Schick we know last season he scored 24 goals um, the, the quality of players is there it's just getting the form so that these players actually can reach their full potential. Well, true to the way they play in matches, they could be a second half of the season side because if they get Patrick Schick and Florian Wurtz back. Exactly. It could be a ridiculous second half of the season. I'm just looking at it now. They are 13th. Yeah, it's not that bad. They're 11 points off the top four. But I'd say with more time with Xabi Alonso to work with those players and getting Patrick Schick and Florian Wurtz back. There's definitely 11 points in there anyway. And think about it, Florian Wurtz, he's, he's on the way back and he's been left out of the Germany squad. That much will take away now uh, from tomorrow's episode. But um, you know he'll have time to work with a lot of players who can then you know slowly get back and they've got a long break now with the world cup you know after this weekend um not going to have any matches until or any full blown matches until january 23 um it's going to be a lot of time that i think Xavi alonso will also use very wisely and work with a lot of players and tactically you know have a look it'll be interesting to see sorry it'll be interesting to see 
if if he gets backed in the transfer window, and if he does, does he dip into the Spanish market? I mean, he probably has the best idea of what the Spanish market has to offer, but the question is, I think, how much will a winter transfer really help aside? There have been so few transfers that have really completely changed people or changed people's teams. I think the majority of those winter transfers have just been money pissed down the drain, in all honesty, because it's just they have too little time to acclimate to the team. They come in mid-season when the team's already, you know, semi-formed, so to speak. It's just too much. It's there, there are too many moving parts, and I think winter transfers in general are just not a smart choice. They're only they're a desperate choice. True, but yeah, that's true. I mean, some of them work, Bruno Fernandes, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You know, Lewis, you have Lewis the Boris. odd one, you have the odd transfer that works out, but there's so few of them, it just doesn't happen. True, I think. It's an interesting one. It's a weird one. But, and it's just so cliche, and I hate myself for saying it, <laughs> but having Schick and Verts back is going to be like new signings anyway. Yeah, because you have new, you still have new impulses in that sense. You have another round of quality that you can have a look at. Exactly. So let's move away from a club that's seemingly on the rise to one that in recent weeks has suffered a little bit of a cat well yeah catastrophic drop-off uh culminating in a 2-0 loss to Wolfsburg on Tuesday uh with goals from Mickey Vandenven which is a really nice name to say <laughs> and I've heard this said two ways from different uh, commentators, Lucas Metcher and Lucas Nemetcher. Now, is it like the Gnabry thing? Well, everyone knows that it's called his name is Serge Gnabry, not Nabry. But I have heard on World Feed. I'm on. In all honesty, I've heard even it at work people say Metcher and not Nemetcher. So, and I'm 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 as confused as you are. It's it's weird just because when he was playing for Man City and things like youth games and, and things like that, it was Lucas Nemecha. I just wondered whether it was like I've heard some German people call Serge Gnabry Serge Gnabry. Ugh, that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're not here to talk about um, there you go. how to pronounce Lucas Metcher's last name. Let's talk about Dortmund because I'd argue their drop off started in October. That's a long time for a drop-off, though. Here's why. They had that 1-0 win against Schalke. I mean, to be fair, it's kind of hard. Ugh. I'm, I'm going to revise that because they keep having, you know, solid little plays. And then they have one loss that basically is just like, everyone's like, what the hell? happened 
Because if you look at the way their season went, you know, they, you know, they start with the one nil win over Leverkusen. Everyone's like, ah, oh, that, you know, at the time, many people were seeing Leverkusen still as being, you know, top six. Um, they win three one against Freiburg, who were also, you know, as we've seen, a very good team. They then go on to lose three two against Bremen, which makes no sense. And then they have the odd one nil win against Hertha or Hoffenheim. Lose three nil to Leipzig when Marco Rosa first took over at Leipzig. Have the one nil win against Schalke. Lose three two to Dortmund. Makes no sense. Two two draw to Bayern after being two nil down. Great. 2-0 loss to Union Berlin on Gregor Kobitz comeback from injury. And then 5-0 win over Stuttgart, 2-1 win against Frankfurt under dubious circumstances, 3-0 win over Bochum. Yeah, makes sense. And then 2-0 loss to Dortmund. I mean to, to Wolfsburg. It seems as if Dortmund's season basically has been coming in waves. That's not great. I mean, they're now sixth. So but I, I I noticed something, and I wanted to just get your opinions on this. If we ignore the fact that Niklas Sula is playing at right back, which he has done for Bayern in the past quite well as well. Yeah, but Bayern are a better team overall, True. so he probably had to do less defending than he did against Wolfsburg. Arguably less, anyway. Arguably less. Fine. But with the exception, I'm not including Yusuf and Makoko in this. Because he's done because, amazingly. Yeah. Because he's done amazingly and he's an academy product. And he's 17 um, still. I'm not going to include Karim Adeyemi in this because he's being played on the right when he's a striker. My point is, with the exception of Erling Haaland, who, as we know, is a freak. Yeah. Since Robert Lewandowski left for Bayern, they've really struggle to find proper decent forwards that help them out in, in any way. Daniel Marlin, I'm sorry, just isn't the one. Yeah, but we I'm sorry. I, I would I think I, I would disagree with you. Chiro Immobile killing it for Lazio for some reason just didn't settle in Dortmund. Uh Paco Alcacer scored in the Super Cup against Bayern. I just wanted to rub that in. Uh... But on the whole didn't make it. Aubameyang, the attitude which we all know about was the main reason. Other than that, he was okay. Usman Dembélé wasn't really given enough time to do well. Well, he did very well, which is why Barcelona then spent 135 million on him. <laughs> which is still the funniest. <laughs> that and the Coutinho transfer are the funniest yeah. things in the world. Yeah. Um... I see your point, but I'd still argue that, you know, Obama Young had an amazing time, especially his partnership with Marco Royce. That was insane. Um, yeah, the striking options until Erling Haaland were a bit thin. I'd, I'll, I'll basically agree with you but take Aubameyang also out of that because but, yeah okay I'm, I'm willing to concede Aubameyang it was just the attitude that exactly exactly that, that spoiled he did he he won the he won the uh the the cannon um and yeah. beat Robert Lewandowski for for the for top goal scorers cannon in the Bundesliga 2017-18 where yeah. Lewandowski ended ended up throwing a bitch fit 
I remember this. No, not 2017, 18, 2016, 17. Yeah, when he, uh, when yeah. Teammates need to pass to me more. Exactly. And Lewandowski <laughs> threw a bitch and he was like, yeah, my teammates didn't pass me. That's why I didn't win the golden boot. Um, exactly. So, and that season, Oman Young scored, I think it was 31 goals. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely taking Obama Young out of that one as well. But if you want to be it, but you know, if you want to be technical about it, if you know, since Lewandowski's left, you've had Obama Young, who had a solid two-year spell at Dortmund, where he actually helped them, and Erling Haaland also had a two and a half year spell at Dortmund. That's not that bad. It's not, but it was just the amount of turnover that they go through. Like Daniel Marlin. Daniel Marlin's not it. No. It's just I, not. I don't know what they saw in him, in all honesty. Well, probably a similar thing to what people saw from Memphis Depay. He was good in the Eredivisie. Yeah, but that's the thing. If you're good in the Eredivisie, it doesn't necessarily... I mean, You know, as, as good as Ajax, for instance, can be, the Dutch league is just not a top-five league for a reason. No, and that, you know, it's as, as wonderful as Cody Gakpo is playing at the moment. I think that would be one of the worries if he does move in January because I think he's going to be one of the breakout stars of the World Cup but we'll talk more about that tomorrow I don't think yeah I was about to say Tony Gakpo I don't think would cut it in the Premier League just yet so Daniel Marlin on the left Karim Adeyemi on the right Shufa Mokoko through the middle when they finally switched Mokoko for Modest sorry when you've got yeah. Torgan Hazard and Gio Reyna on, on the bench the point is wing wingers you can't lump players that play through the middle up front uh you can't play lump fuck's sake you cannot stick players who play through the middle out wide and expect them to track back as much similar to the timo verna at chelsea discussion yeah you stick him out wide left he's not going to track back as much because he's not it's not his game i do think they desperately need another right back because the fact that Nicolas Sula is playing over Felix Paslak means that Edin Terzic rates him as highly as I do. That's the thing as well, because Felix Paslak is basically, you know, he's shown, for instance, that when he played against uh, um, Copenhagen in the Champions League, that he isn't as bad as some people might say he is, but he just isn't getting the trust, I don't think. And there's something... That's not happening because he's been basically a quote unquote talent and breakout star at Dortmund for the better part of the last six years almost. I was going to say, there's only so long you can be a breakout star. Exactly, because he's 24 at this point. He needs, he he had an offer from Olympiakos um, at, in the summer to go. He didn't take it. Understandably, in some aspects, but now there are talks of him moving as early as the winter because he just wants to play and he you know he can't there just something isn't clicking with him in Dortmund at this point yeah something's not right and I did see something I saw someone uh, call for Edin Terzic to get the sack what um, which is ridiculous because I'd make this point when people like slag off a manager or something like that most of the time okay i know the uh, the buck stops with the manager that's the first one to go because there's one guy to be is is easily 
one it, because it's one guy who's easily replaceable. Yeah, and you can't replace a whole team. But once they kick off, there's very little that manager can do. Yeah. Dortmund almost needs some sort of reset with the older players. I still think Mats Hummels needs to go. Yeah, but he is going to go. He's on his way. He's on his last legs. Yeah, but he should have gone already. That's the point I'm making. You, you, mm. It's that. It's There's that. a reason Mats Hummels got playing time over Niklas Süle and was partnering with Nico Schlotterbeck so far this season. I There's think... a reason for that. I think if you spoke to any Dortmund fan, I think most of them would say that their best centre-back pairing is Schlotterbeck and Sula. He shouldn't be playing at right-back. And Matt Schimmel should have gone in the summer. Yeah, but where? I don't know. Retired. Put out to pasture. Jesus. Like a racehorse sent to a stud. I don't know. Sent to a stud farm. Breed more defenders. I don't fucking know. Fucking hell. He, he was very good. But it's that staying around too long. It happened with Rio. I love Rio. Uh, I was going to say, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of pain going through you right now. <laughs> there's a lot of pain for that, man. You ask any QPR fan what they think of Rio Ferdinand, and they won't say, oh, yeah, he was a really good defender for England, one multiple Premier Leagues, the Champions League, say he was utter dog shit when he played for us because he was too old. Yeah. So, again, it's that thing we always say about Dortmund. It's a downfall of their own making. I'm going to argue against that and say Mats Hummels isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is just the fact that, you know, we've, we've gone and said this so, so often in the last few seasons. There is still a mentality mentality problem at that club. It's just not something because they've gone through enough top managers. It it's not the manager's fault. You know, they've gone Lucien Favre, I would 100 percent still say that was good that they sacked him and they did they got rid of him. But you know, you don't go through Eden Terzic, then bring in Michael Rosa, then figure out Michael Rosa is not working, then bring back Eden Terzic. Um, and it still doesn't work or it's still not working as Dortmund would like it to be. And it's still a mentality problem at the end of the day. You know, they, they were woeful in the champions league last season. They've now managed to get through, you know, this is one of the first seasons in a long time where Dortmund managed to qualify for the champions league ahead of the last match day. So. You know, I th I think it's at some point it's not the manager's fault, it's the player's fault, and it's just a mentality thing. It's not necessarily, you know, a Mats Hummels who's getting too old, because I'd still argue he's one of Dortmund's best defenders. And as I said, there was a reason why he was getting game time over Niklas Süle at the start of the season. Maybe. It'll be an interesting one to see. I think, yeah, there needs to be a mentality change. I think they need to bring in... I don't know, it's a psychologist or something. Well, I think they, they took the right steps in having a big transfer offensive this uh, past summer. You know, the, obviously the fact that Sebastian Alea then um, gets diagnosed with cancer is just that you... 
that's just you know one of those freak things that happens in life that you just can't plan for and that obviously it's also going to it's also been or it's going to cost Dortmund because they were obviously planning with his attacking ability and I think Dortmund with a focal point like Sebastian Alea at full strength is also a different side but then again you know we never might have known what would have happened to Mukoku if Alea had played maybe he would already be on his way out so it, it is it is one of those things but I think at the end of the day you know and it starts with things like Makura should just be nowhere near the captaincy and I think it's great that Jude Bellingham is going in but you know we're also talking about the fact that Jude Belling Bellingham might be leaving in the summer so I was going to say that's the the I think that's probably the biggest problem of Borussia Dortmund good players don't stay there long enough yeah and they need to figure out how if they want to if they want to actually win titles then they need to figure out or finally get it into their heads that they cannot become that farm for young talent they can't keep playing on that they have to at some point say you know we want to get players in who aren't just young and talented but we need to get players in who can actually get us to that to the top because it's little things like you know against Union, which we discussed at like you know the backheel pass from a young Karim Adyemi. Because yeah, obviously he's not going to have, or sometimes he's going to make mistakes and you know play, or be too too playful with the ball, if you will, um, and do stupid shit like that. Um, you know, if he's too playful with the ball like that and loses it and it becomes a goal, that it's little things like that over the course of a season where I think young players will still just not be able to bring that in. And if you don't have enough of your starting 11 who are talented top players who already have enough experience, then the mix is just not going to go well. So that covers it quite articulately. Actually, that was a very well summarized from your good self. But should we leave? Oh, I thank you. Should we leave the negative side of the Bundesliga? And I've got a couple of weird news stories from the Bundesliga. And uh, oh, I love it. I'll start with... um. The, the shorter one. We'll start with the shorter one. Uh, so my favourite person in the world, Wolfsburg striker Max Kruse, is now a World Series of Poker gold bracelet winner. Um, he also yeah, picked, he, he also picked up a check for one thousand three no for one hundred and thirty four thousand one hundred and fifty two euros. So you know it's not like he needs the money. But I was going to say why play poker? But because he, he literally he just he's. At this point, he is just rubbing everyone's nose in the fact that he, you know, I mean, he is just too full of himself. That is that is a fact. But he is just basically rubbing every like and especially Wolfsburg's nose in the fact that, you know, he's just having the fun of his life while he's injured. And there, there was that thing last week where he where he said um, where Maximilian Arnold was like, yeah, you know, I like to go to training. I don't, you know, like Max Kruse, only show up for three hours and then leave. To which Max Kuzer then responded, well, you know, some of the less talented players obviously need more training then. Mad. <laughs> <laughs> I will always and always hold dear the, the fact that I called his transfer back. Oh, to my Bundesliga. God. Look, <laughs> I, called this. I called it about a month before it happened. Anyway, the True. second one, and I don't know whether you've seen this. You may have done. Um, and I love it. I absolutely love this one. <laughs> so mental. Uh, Schalke's number two keeper, Ralph Farman, has been urged by sporting director Peter Canaval not to eat cake before games and during half time, which is unprofessional. 
What? <laughs> I didn't even know this. What? That's insane. It just sounds like it's made up. Ralph Farman's agent, oh Stefan Bax. God. Ralph won't eat cake anymore and hopes to help Schalke stay in the league this way. No. The 34-year-old is known to be unhappy with his backup role. So um, he's eating his feelings. Let it, Let the man eat his feelings. Oh, buddy. Um, <laughs> they did win 1-0 last night. Um, and Schalke striker Marius Butler, joking after Bruto, he missed... Yeah. He missed a chance in the one to win. It's like, I had a piece of cake before the game. Oh, no. Now the teammates are even... Oh, no. <laughs> Life. Oh, no. It's, it's just, just, it's well just amazing. It's the, it's the tag at the end. It's like he's been urged not to eat cake by Peter Canapo during the game, uh, before games and during halftime, which is unprofessional. <laughs> Like who add which which editor added this line in? Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> uh, well, it's come from Build, so that probably gives oh, you everything. Jesus but that is Christ. that is the most fantastic thing. Oh, Let I my man that. eat his feelings. Let them eat cake. I was gonna say that. Mike drop on that one. <laughs> Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it on Ralph Farman's cake-eating exploits. Oh, there you go. And I think I'll have uh, myself a nice little cheat meal of pure cake now. Uh, I don't have any cake. I just need to go find some. Anyways, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 80 Sports News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 80 Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out our previous episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And of course, keep your eyes peeled. We will be doing a reaction slash rundown of the World Cup squads for England and Germany for the World Cup 2022 that will be coming out either today or tomorrow at the latest Saturday. Keep your eyes peeled. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.